Uh, please take your Bibles, if you would, and open up to Luke chapter 12. We'll be looking at that another parable of Jesus there. Uh, if, if you don't have a Bible with you, our wonderful ushers have a stack of Bibles in their hands. They're walking down the aisle, just get their attention and say, hey, I want to look at the Bible this morning. And I encourage you, if you have a Bible, bring it. We always look into it. Uh, great time to underline and stuff like that and get to, use to using your own Bible where things are at in there. And then if you don't have a Bible and would like one at the end of the service, go out into the lobby area, turn left, right, whatever which way to get to the desk. And you get there and ask them for a Bible and they'll be happy to give you one. As Stan mentioned... I also encourage you to uh, pick up one of these uh, uh, guides to more verses because I give a lot of verses during this service and my anticipation is that you write them down on your outline. So go ahead and take that out. There's some blanks to fill in. Uh, the answers will be up on the screen, but do pick up one of those uh, small group studies. It's also for individual study and you'll get on to that. But yeah, we're talking about money today. <laughs> I'm not wearing my red shoes. I got gray shoes, but I got my money shirt on. I got a green shirt on. Just kind of the whole little casual net sense here just to kind of make it fun and to have a good time at that. But, you know, it's interesting because um, we want to follow Christ being central, as Nathan was talking about. And, and Jesus taught, when he taught, he actually taught more about money and finances and money issues than the topic of heaven and hell combined. And if Jesus talks a lot about money, then we should actually talk about it as well. Walk through some of these parables and, and hear about it because it's a, it's a subject that touches our lives. And I know some of you are going, oh man, he's talking about money again. I thought it was last week. And then you come this week thinking, I'm warning you, I'm talking about it again next week. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's going to be fun. I got the great teachings of Jesus in there. And so I want to encourage you to come. But I'm glad you, how many of you were here last week and you came back? Okay, good. Punishment for more right there. But, uh, you know, in talking about money, how much is enough? How much is enough? You know, <laughs> chances are you're saying a little bit more than I have right now. And actually, you're not alone in that. Howard Hughes, the uh, billionaire when billionaire wasn't popular, uh, had so much. And, and, he, and uh, he, he was asked, how much would it take for, for you to really be happy? And what he says was this, uh, just a little bit more. You know, those who were around Howard Hughes and as they looked at his life realized that he was never really happy, though he had so much. And uh, when uh, my family and I were, uh, a number of years ago, we were in the uh, Silicon Valley, uh, San Francisco Bay area, uh, right smack in the, in the Sil Silicon Valley Central. <laughs> and uh, uh, it was right during the dot-com boom when uh, people were... Just, you know, it was like they struck the lottery every day and, and companies going public and they were gaining wealth and not only the salaries but also in stock options and it was just incredible and people were experiencing what they called sudden wealth syndrome. These people that were just nothing now are uber rich and, and, uh, and it was a condition there and I've got to tell you, working and living among those people, I saw that money does not equal happiness and nor does it give security. Yet we hear that term, financial freedom. But what does it really mean? Most people think it means loads of cash. <laughs> Give me some of that sudden wealth syndrome. <laughs> uh, yet some people think it means to have financial freedom to spend money on whatever you want, that any want and treasure, or do whatever your hearts desire. Yet the bite of reality is wealth, material possessions, money, create more bonds than freedom. Study after study, uh, example after example of, of lottery winners, those who strike it rich in their business or those who just simply come into cash or those who are focused a lot on money reveal the reality that it's less freedom. It produces less freedom in life. And, 
And when more money comes in, there is an increase in the risk of a damaged life, a life out of control. People go off on self-seeking binges. They waste valuable resources. They get hooked on drugs because it's already available. They, they, it leaves people empty, unfulfilled, worse off. Their lives are a mess. And it actually shortens their life. And yet the culture of the world continues to teach that to be secure is to have a good retirement, a, a huge savings, a diversified portfolio, a high-paying job, acquiring lots of stuff, and then you'll be happy and secure. And yet that is clearly not true. And it is definitely not what the Bible teaches. It's not the biblical view of security. See, we have an unhealthy... Uh, we've put an unhealthy security on our treasure where it starts to own us, where we can even be in bondage to a, a house payment, a, a car payment, a credit cards or debt. And the question comes, what are we really bound to? What is really our security in? Remember 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 that we looked at last week that says, command those who are rich, and that's really most of us in this room, Almost all of us in this room are rich compared to the whole world. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. To put our hope in God is to seek Jesus first. Write down somewhere in your notes, Matthew 6, 33. Hopefully you've got that verse memorized. Seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all the things of life will be added unto us. It's a time when Jesus was teaching on, the disciples were worried about everything, about what they're going to wear, what they're going to eat, what's going to happen in their life. And Jesus said, the answer is to put Christ first, to seek first the kingdom of God. That's Christ on the throne of life. That's Christ central, to have him as the highest affection of your life, to have him as the number one, that your security is in him, your hope is in him, your everything is in him. And to keep our treasure from being our security or being in bondage to our treasure, we need to hold Jesus as our highest treasure and to seek his glory. That's what Christ-centeredness is all about, is to not our glory, but his, to live for his purposes. And the Bible teaches that. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in your wealth and lean on your own understanding. And that's not what it says. It says, trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. That's the promise from, from Proverbs there. To not, trust, uh, to, to not trust in ourselves, but to trust in the Lord. Philippians 4.19 says, A good retirement plans will meet all of your needs. It's not what it says. It says, My God, our God, will meet your needs. Matthew 6.11, reciting the Lord's Prayer. It goes like this. Give us, God, all of our bread at once so we can have what we want. <laughs> no, that's not what it says. Give us this day our daily bread. You wonder why it says daily bread? So we have that sense of, of need of God every day. So that our security and our sufficiency is all from Him, not from our own wealth and our own gathering of things. We struggle with security. And that want for more, it's like a disease that if not dealt with, it gets out of hand. That, that insatiable want for more grows and grows and grows and even selfishness gets worse and worse. And it can click into a, a narcissism, all which leads to a condition that destroys and leaves people empty, lonely, depressed. 
I mean, just read the book of Ecclesiastes. The Bible book of Ecclesiastes is written by the most wealthiest man that ever lived, King Solomon. And he started listing, you know, stuff and, and slaves and singers and money and property and jewels. And he said, it's all a waste of time. It's all like trying to grasp the wind. It's not, it, it, it doesn't provide anything for life. It's empty. It's vanity. But there is a treatment. There is a cure for our struggle with security and want. Jesus taught incessantly on the subject. And the tendency to put too much security in our treasure and how easy our treasure constrains us. One of those teachings is found in our text today. Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21. Luke gives two cautions and two remedies to the traps of treasure. That don't just just curb uh, the symptoms of greed and selfishness, but help us thrive as followers of Jesus. And so if you wouldn't mind picking up your stuff and standing up, let's pray. I know, again... Talking about finances, it's like, Pastor, quit meddling in my business. Um, it's God who wants to get a grip of this part of your life. You know, we, ta- we hold things from God, and a lot of times it's our finances. That's kind of the last holdout. Because you can't serve both God and money. We just saw that verse on the screen. God wants to do something. He wants to teach you something this morning. I don't know what it is, but he does. And the Holy Spirit wants to to guide and direct your thoughts. So let's ask him and invite him to help us learn today. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to come and to, to learn from your word. And thank you for how rich your word is in truth and in wisdom. And so, Lord, help us glean from that this morning as we look into this uh, teaching of Jesus and, and being challenged in the area of our finances, our money. Help us to glean something, Lord, specific to us today from this, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Have a seat and, and keep those notes moving. There should be pens in front of you somewhere. Jot down some of these verses as you've gone along. Hopefully you've already jotted down some. Two uh, cautions and two remedies to the traps of treasure. The first is to avoid the bonds of wanton treasure. Turn to, if you haven't already been there, uh, Luke chapter 12 verse 13. Let me just read the first few verses here to set the scene, what's going on. Someone in the crowd said to him, the hymn is Jesus. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me as judge or arbitrator between you? And then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, this guy going to Jesus is really rather puzzling because the Jewish code of conduct is fairly clear. If you read the, the Bible book of, of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it tells how to interact with members of family and dealing with inheritance and all that kind of stuff. It's all there. And the rabbis were keen in, in deciphering that out to help people there. So the fact that the, this, the person wants Jesus now to come do their heavy lifting says a little bit about this person. Maybe they're uh, a little lazy. Sometimes we're just like that. We don't want to figure anything out between us and God. We want somebody to just tell me, just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to give. Just tell me what to give to. Who do what? We don't want to figure it out ourselves. And yet God wants us to figure it out ourselves. Yet there is a, a deeper issue looming. Uh, and Jesus brings it out. He says, watch out! Which means, hey! Heads up! Greed is something to avoid. Greed is that strong desire for more, to covet, 
to excessively want. And this want leads to all kinds of trouble. Proverbs 15, 27, greed brings trouble, calamity, and pain. Proverbs 28, 25, it stirs up dissension and conflict. Proverbs 29, 4, it tears down. And 1 Timothy 6, 9 to 10 says, the love of money, not money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Greed is not a good thing. And most all of us would say, we are not greedy. I mean, we're not like Scrooge, and yet it's part of our human sin nature. See, all of us have sinned, the Bible said, and fallen short of the glory of God. And one of the issues of our sin nature is it's greedy. <laughs> Left alone, boom, we just get greedy. Boom, shakalaka, we get greedy, right? <laughs> Even in the church, we get greedy. So, so let's take a little greed test. There's a, some questions on the, on, the, on the screen here. How greedy are you, quiz? <laughs> uh, you're at the shopping center at Costco and pass by the sample stand. You step here, and you, you decide whether this is greedy or giving, okay? Uh, you step in front of everyone else to get yours. Okay, hold it on. We'll, we'll give the answers later on. The, the, you secretly take two or more and say they are for your family. Yes, you've done that. So have I. Uh, you take one offered and say thank you. Okay, so which, which one do you think? Let's give the answers here. There you go. Greedy, greedy giving. Okay. Here's another one. This one's a little easier. Hopefully we got this one fixed. Uh, you regularly let friends treat you to a meal because they make more money than you. Yes or no? Let's see the answer. Okay. Yeah. If you do that, oh yeah, well, just let them take care of it. You know, they're better than me. No. Uh, to offer that is, is giving. Let's, let's see the next one. Uh, in your interactions with others, you look for what you get rather than what you give. Now, that's kind of obvious which one's the greedy one. Let's give the answer there. Yeah. If you're constantly looking for that, you're just thinking of yourself. You're being greedy. If no, you're being giving. Here's one more. What would be your first thoughts and actions if you won a lottery or came into a large sum of money? Uh, do whatever I want to do. Immediately go buy my dream purchase. Give a large portion or percentage away. Invest it so that I can do what I want for the rest of my life. Hmm, kind of interesting here. What, here's what we got. Yeah, that last one you think, oh, that's kind of giving. Oh, that's actually the story that we're going to be looking at this morning. You see, um, it's easy for us, even subtle at times, uh, to move on in our greed. And, and, and yes, we can be a bit greedy. And if not dealt with, it will grow. As well, the actions of our life either enhance greed in our life or the actions of our life inhibit greed. So the question is, how are you doing in the greed factor of life? See, the great news is that there is a cure for greed. It first deals with or starts with dealing with that that. that greedy sin nature that sin uh, we, we were born into it and it's part of our DNA we have within us that desire for the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh and the boastful pride of life that's part of that sin nature and then the part of that sin nature that's devastating is that we're kind of locked into it we're kind of handcuffed caged in locked into that lifestyle and sure we can we can build some positive uh, things we can you know give and and learn about giving and help people out and those are all good things good practices and they help us not be super greedy but the the reality is we will keep being pulled back down because of that sin nature and that the tragedy of that sin nature is that uh, it not only uh, keeps us locked into that greedy selfish lifestyle but it holds us out for a personal relationship with God. 
See, sinful man can't relate to holy God. Sin has created a, a chasm. And there's no mixing of the two. And there's nothing we can do to try to get rid of that sin. The other tragedy that, that happens is that we can't really be all that God desires us to be. God has great potential for us and, and desires for us and dreams for us. And if we don't get rid of that sin or get released from that sin, we can't go out and live that way, the way that God would desire. And, and we won't be led into heaven. And again, there's nothing we humanly can do to release that. Even practicing good giving things, being the best we can, giving all of our stuff away. That's, it doesn't change that fact. We need a Savior. That's why Jesus came. And, to, and, and to, to get freed is to believe that Jesus is our Savior. And belief has always been a confession that we're sinful, a confession that Christ is our Savior, and it's a commitment to live life God's way. That's what belief is. And many of you have made that step of faith, and that's great. And we need to now then grow on that relationship with Him, putting Him central so that now He influences our life and setting our affections and our security on Him. Because Jesus, who is the ultimate example of generosity and giving. For as we love like Jesus, we're compelled to love and to give like Him. And greed is held back. For greed is held back with, through profuse giving. And a life lived that is abundant, that is profuse in giving, not only is good for you, but others are blessed as well as you give. People benefit from that. It's kind of like a most all of us have been blessed and received a blessing from the giving nature of Ruth Graves Wakefield. Doesn't strike a bell with any of you? Ruth Graves? You, you, no, you're all just, who in the world is that? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> Ruth, uh, an owner of an inn in Whitman, Massachusetts, um, had always given to her guests in her best given of her best, and especially in her cooking. And in the 1930s, uh, she was involved in this inn and, and, and cooked for her guests. And one particular evening, she really wanted to give her guests a, a wonderful chocolate cookie. And so she went into her uh, uh, kitchen and she began to bake. And, and legend, it is a legend because no one knows for sure if this exactly happened, but she, she went into her kitchen and, and wanted to make this chocolate cookie and, and it was either too late or she just tried something new and she cut up and broke up the chocolate into pieces, put it in a, the dough, ro rolled it up and slid it into the oven thinking that the chocolate would melt and it would become a chocolate cookie. Well, when the time was up, she opened up the oven and out came the first chocolate chip cookie. Ah, and these chocolate chip cookies are amazing. Annie Sinkowitz, can I go ahead and try one? Yeah, Dave, Dave, you want one? Yeah, sure, you want one? Yeah, okay. Yeah, Ken, you want one there? Okay, okay, that's fine. You don't, they're really good. Okay, yeah, see, I knew I... <laughs> now, others are saying, why don't you come to me? Well, yeah, come over there. Well, if you were to sit up front here... You might have more. Anyways, afterwards, you can come after the service and you can get some, some uh, chocolate chip cookies. Uh, there's a few left. I, I did the same thing to the first service and I thought I have a lot left over, but the first service wouldn't leave. They were, you know, I even had one person said, Mike, I, I really, can I have a couple for my family? <laughs> but because of Ruth's giving nature, we all are blessed with the chocolate chip cookie. Th that in... Uh, that in, um, 
the, the inn of Ruth that, that she owned, the, the inn that, where she was so giving, that inn has a name. Do you know what the name of that inn is? It's the Toll House Inn. And if you ever bought a bag of Nestle's Toll House cookies, you can see the inn. It's right there. And now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> oh, but because of Ruth's giving nature, we are blessed. And because when we give, others are blessed. And we're blessed as well. Everyone wins when we live a life of profuse giving. Luke 6, 38 says give. And actually that word give there means it's, it's, it's written in the command form. It's not a suggestion, well, when you give. No, it says give. As a command, we are commanded to give. If we're not giving, we're not following God's command. It's that simple. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will pour into your lap for the measure you use, the measure it will be for you. And so we need to work in our lives and create a spending plan, a budget, income, expense, so that we have opportunity to give. We are need to be good stewards. to be good stewards of our resources, and that's why we offer that financial plan university, so that you would take the opportunity to learn how to budget well. Write down Malachi. You've written this down before, but Malachi chapter three, verses eight to eleven. Maybe you'll read it this week. It talks about a plan, and 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 one of the plans is to include a tithe, the tenth, to the storehouse, to the church. And now a tenth is is ten percent, a tenth of your income to to be given now. Uh, if you're not able to do that right away, then work up to it and then go beyond it. It was never meant to be, that's it. This is the rule, check it off. It was meant to be a guide for us to move forward and to, to see that. You know, one man was challenged in his study and, and heard messages on giving. And, and he was challenged, the challenge was out to him to make his giving to the church the largest payment he made in a month over his car payment, over his uh, uh, food budget, over his entertainment and even over his house payment. And it took him years, but he did it. And I know I was deeply challenged by that. Now, I'm not saying that's for everybody, but what does your budget say about you? Because it does communicate. So give. It is the cure of greed. I mean, to avoid wanton treasure is, to, is through profuse giving. It cured Zachari- Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus, we little man that we talked about last week? And in Luke chapter 19, write down Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, read it again, the story, because when Zacchaeus came and encountered with Jesus, it changed him. And he became uh, more generous and began to give. Look at what verse 8 says in Luke 19. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, look, Lord, here I now give not 10%, not 20%, 50%. I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay them back four times the amount. Uh, there was another person that came and encountered with Jesus. Write down Mark uh, chapter 10, verses 10, 17 to 27. He was a very wealthy person, a rich young ruler. Heard about Jesus. This rich young ruler had all he had, but he didn't have Jesus. And he realized that all this wealth didn't really fulfill his life. And he knew that there was something more to life. And he heard about Jesus. So he came running up to Jesus, bowed before him and said, What do I need to do? What do I need to do to to gain eternal life, to live as I'm supposed to live, to have fulfillment in life? And Jesus, knowing everything about him, because he's Jesus, and he knows everything about him, he knows everything about you. And he said to him, Sell everything you have and give to the poor. The rich young ruler, I'm not sure how long the pause was, but hung his head and he walked 
away from Jesus. And the Bible says because he was a wealthy man. See, the grip of greed is strong. But it can be loosened through regular, consistent giving. So set budgets. Get help from the Financial Peace University. And give. And it's selfless giving. See, some give to get. <laughs> to wield their power to be that. <laughs> Come on, Benjamin Lazeems. Uh, be like that, that manipulator giver. Um, yet that's not giving, that's paying for a service. Now I know people who've stopped giving to their church because the church did not play their music, preach their message, they didn't have a parking space available, yet they knew God wanted them there. So don't be like that. Selflessly give, not to manipulate, to get what you want, but because God has commanded us to do so. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says this, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That joyful heart that says, you know what? I have prepared for this. I'm excited about this. I'm excited to give. Giving is actually fun. It's neat to see how God just, woo, miraculously. And I tell you, faith promise is one way to stretch that idea of giving, and we'll talk more about that another time. But, but, but those of you who give here, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for giving here. Your investments matter. As you're faithful and obedient, we can reach farther. And when we withhold and don't include our church in our giving, it affects us. Things become more difficult. Uh, we miss out as a church. And opportunities, we miss out on opportunities to glorify God. And we're less effective in sharing our faith. And, and, and we're, we're slower in encouraging followers to thrive. And we're held back from helping hurting people. Your giving to this church matters. So thank you for being faithful. And thank you in advance for your continued faithfulness. Because yes, the bond of greed is strong. But it can be loosened by profuse giving. So why not try Another way for us to curb the, the symptoms of greed and, and selfishness and to thrive as followers of Christ is to the second point here, to avoid the insecurity of self-seeking treasure. Jesus hits this point uh, right coming off this subject of greed, the cautions of greed. He says in verse 16 this. Then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Verse 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And you think, wow, that sounds kind of smart. This guy is thinking about his future. He's got things together. He realizes, you know, this is, a, this is a time of plenty and there may be a time of famine later on. Even that, that principle is taught in the Bible, you know, way back in, the, in Genesis. We know, get that idea. So maybe that's what's happening here. Wow, this guy's really wise. Or maybe he's even business savvy. You see, maybe he's one of the, the big grain uh, guys in the area and so he's going to stockpile his grain and hold it back till the price goes up and then leak it out slowly. Ah, that's good business. I mean, more money in his pocket? Help him out? Make his business grow? And you think Jesus is going to commend him. And Jesus sees the core issue here. And look at what he says about this man as he continues the story. Verse 20. 
But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you that who will get what you've prepared for yourself? Jesus says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Why was this guy foolish? This guy was foolish because he was only thinking of himself. He was only thinking of himself, not his responsibility to his family, to his relatives, to his community, to those who are hurting, to the poor, to humanity. You see, God's call on our life is to help people. People ought to be better in our family, in our community, in our work, in our school, in our church because of you, because of God in you. The core of a fool is they think only of themselves. Proverbs 18.2, a fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. A fool cares only about their thoughts, not others, and certainly not God's. Proverbs 28.26, he who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. It throws a wrench in the idea of being self-sufficient, but self-sufficient is really sufficiency on God. What is the beginning of wisdom? Write down Proverbs uh, 9.10. Anybody know what that says? For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is that reverent respect of God, that placing God in that highest place in our life and holding Him as Lord of all. And yet the reality is we can be so foolish thinking only of ourselves. Proverbs 21.20, the house of the wise... Are, in the house of the wise, there are stores of, of choice food and oil, but the fool, foolish man devours all he has. The fool is so focused on self that they've got to have theirs. Give me mine first. <laughs> Proverbs 18.1 says, uh, The selfish are unfriendly and not of sound judgment. Romans 2.8, The self-seeking follow evil and wrath and anger await. Listen to what James 3, 14 to 16 says on the screen. But you, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, that's being sarcastic there, such wisdom because it's not wisdom at all. But such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual. It's of the devil. You see, we are most like the enemy Satan when we are selfish. And we are most like God when we are giving and generous. I don't know who you want to be like, <laughs> but I certainly want to be more like God. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, James goes on to say, there you find disorder in every evil practice. So what's the cure? Yes, tap into the one who is completely selfless, Jesus, who gave himself to God and loved others. He is the example of selfless generosity. He was, he was and is devoted to God, His will, His way, and spent time with, with all people, used His abilities to lead people to Himself, to, to help believers thrive and to help the hurting. And so let's be like Him. For the disease of selfishness is curbed through selfless generosity. A lot like Dabri Dobrev. <laughs> I came across his, his, uh, um, his story as I was looking, perusing Facebook, and I can't remember who had it on their Facebook, but I saw this story and I was intrigued by it and began to investigate about this 
old beggar named Dobri Dobrev from Bulgaria. Uh, he could be seen around his city uh, with a little tin cup uh, begging for money, dressed in the traditional garb there and walking on the street corners and asking people for money. You could see him in the, in, in, on the streets and in the corners and even in the church asking people for money. And when people would give, they'd drop a coin in or he would do some kind of great bow and, uh, and people loved to see that and he would kiss their hands and it was quite a sight. People just kind of wanted to see this old man bow and, and kiss the hands of those that became quite a sight. People would give just to see that. And most people just, you know, good old Dobry, he's uh, walking around and they kind of smiled at him because he always had a smile on his face and a, and a joyful thought in his mind. But yet there's a lot more to this man than people really knew. For many years he had been doing this until uh, one day uh, the church, uh, they had received money because they were an old broken down church there. Uh, they had received money to help rebuild and, and, and there was time to do another building project. And so the minister there went into and opened up the, the records of who gave. Uh, in that part of the country they do that. Wouldn't that be funny if I did that here? <laughs> Maybe I should. <laughs> Some of you think, no way. No way. Why? I'll let you ponder that a while. I'm not going to, so don't worry. <laughs> but this minister opened the, the books up and he started to look at who the, the big givers were to thinking, maybe I can just go off, after them and just say, hey, you know, we have this need and if you wouldn't mind, we really would help you if you could give more. And one name surfaced as one of the biggest givers of the church. A man by the name of Dobri de Breath the beggar. Uh, digging into the story, they later found out that, that Dobry uh, was a uh, World War II veteran. Uh, he was now living on a pension of 80 euros a month. And some of you who have conversion tables on your phone, you can figure that out, how much that is. It's not very much at all. And yet, Dobry would make his own clothes and live very simply and in his home and walk miles to the city square to be able to collect money and to give it away. Dobry gave over 40,000 euros to not only this church, but all, not this church, but that church of that, that, that minister, but to also orphanages in there. His life was a selfless life, a life that was dedicated. And when he asked, uh, uh, why do you give to the church? He said, because that's the place people will go always to find God. And I want to make sure that the church still stands. Ah, that we would be like Dabri. Selfless. He is truly rich towards God. I don't know if he's still alive. When the story came out, he was somewhere 98 a couple of years ago. And so he's up in his hundreds now. What an example. We have that command to be rich towards God. First Timothy 6.18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. That's what Jesus was getting at when he said that in verse 21, to be rich towards God, the value Jesus, to value Jesus so much, we give like him. Giving of our treasure, our time, our energy, our effort, our talents, selflessly. Philippians 2.4, do not merely look out for the, your own interests, but the interests of others. Care for them. Listen. Be generous with your time 
to give to others. Luke 6.35, love your enemies and do good. Lend expecting nothing in return. Be generous to all. Adjust your spending plan so you have more to give. Create that plan and stick to it because the killer of giving is that big purchase. Oh, I want it! And we go get it. And wow, the payments are more. I, I, don't, I can't give. I'm strapped with the payment. Galatians 5.14 says, all of God's law is summed up in this. Love your neighbor. Be selfless. To love others, to be generous. And when opportunity gives up, why not? Now, yes, do be wise. There are bad people out there, wolves in sheep's clothing. And you need to be wise. Even people who come to your door, be wise. Get help. Seek counsel. This guy in our story, where he wanted to build more barns, was self-focused. We should have that. He should have had that Christ-centeredness, that Christ-centered focus to help people, to be kind to strangers, to, to care if others know about Jesus and are growing in faith and seek to bring glory to God, not self. That's why I love this church and love the church because it's not about us. It's about God and about worshiping Him and, 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 and it's about people who are not yet here. The empty chair. We want God to fill that chair and He wants to use each one of us and our selflessness to reach out. Because it's not about us. It's about helping others belong and grow and serve and worship and thrive. Sure, we, are, we will grow in the process. That's the Holy Spirit's job in our life. We are to selflessly serve and to give and to, to seek to know Jesus more. <laughs> there will never be enough. Never enough stuff, never enough money. Want is always with us. Want does not give freedom. It actually creates more bonds than freedom. And neither does selfishness. We think we can make life secure by amassing more and more and more treasure. And it only builds insecurity. So avoid the bonds of want and treasure through profuse giving. As well, avoid the insecurities of self-seeking treasure through selfless generosity. And seek security in the Lord. Seek the Lord for security and seek to be bound to Him. Take my yoke upon you, says Jesus. A yoke is what binds an ox to its equipment. He says, it's, my burden is light. And you will actually find rest in Him there. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the, the truth of your word and the challenge to be generous, to give. Lord, help us to be that way. Help us to, to, to seek you in all the way through this. And Lord, thanks for the challenge. Lord, it's not comfortable to, to think of our finances. And Lord, we don't want to blow it, but we, we want to have stuff. And we want to get by. And we want to have a certain level of living. And, and Lord, help us balance that. Help that work out in our lives. Teach us and challenge us, even in this area where it's difficult. Thanks, Father, for loving us enough to tell us the truth, though it's uncomfortable. We pray in your son's name. Amen.